Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Frame what the Lord's put on my heart to communicate out of the final chapters of the book of Revelation. I want to use Revelation 19 and 2 to sort of set us up on where we're going, all right? Revelation 19 and 2. Uh, as you're turning there, just want to update you. was in Orlando this week and grateful for things that are moving forward and taking place and heading in the right direction. So uh, please continue to be in prayer for God as he's laying the foundation and the core there and for Pastor Alan Tisa. And um, I was part of a connect group there. I taught in growth phases Thursday. Uh, had several meetings with some potential uh, key leaders as well as some new families and getting them connected. But great fruitful trip and uh, took time as well to pour in uh, to our leaders uh, there that God is raising up. So appreciate your prayers and your support for what God's doing there. As that is just the beginning. Amen. <laughs> Well, you, you don't see what I see then. That is just the beginning. Amen? Okay. All right. Let me also say that when it comes to ministering the Word of God, you know, there's some people that just pick a style and they stick with it, but you see throughout the Scripture that sometimes the Spirit of God, the anointing of God, determines how messages are communicated. So you see at times when God told the prophets, and you see examples in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, that there was times that the style of delivery was dictated by the anointing of God. It wasn't just up to the personal preference of whoever was preaching and teaching. And I say that to say that that last message, uh, the first gathering, uh, really preached. And, you know, I don't always know when I come in and say, well, I'm going to preach and just proclaim uh, sometimes you come in and say, I might teach or whatever. All I say is, is let's let God be bigger than our own desires and assumptions is what I'm trying to get after. And uh, anytime something's new for us, our first thing is to be hesitant, embracing it. And normally that's the pride of our flesh, right? And uh, humility is, is, I don't understand it. It might not be my cup of tea, but I'm willing to open up and see what the Lord would teach me through it and things like that. So Revelation 19 and 2 for true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her of his servants shed by her. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, your Lord of your church. You build your church. The gates of hell will not prevail. We yield to you, Holy Spirit. Manifest Christ to hearts and minds. Be glorified, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, a cry of God's people recorded throughout Scripture is for God to act on their behalf. To act with justice for the injustices that we have suffered as believers. To bring vengeance and just punishment to those who have persecuted followers of God and Jesus without just cause. You see it throughout the Scripture. This cry for deliverance and justice and from Job to David to the psalmist to Isaiah to the prophet Jeremiah, even the apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 6 said, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us 
when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy. Everybody say worthy. Of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know grace and judgment are not contrary? Did you know that grace and the love of God is not contrary to justice and judgment? You see it right there. He speaks of judgment. He speaks of the righteousness of the righteous judge. And even in the midst of that, he speaks of the grace of God. But also notice that when it comes to judgment, when it comes to the cry of the believer, the Lord, would you bring justice where there's been injustices, where we've suffered as followers of you, where people have blasphemed your name, where they've made fun of us, say, oh, you believe in Jesus. Oh, you won't take place in the flood of dissipation and evil with us. You'll no longer party with us. You mean you'll no longer commit sexual immorality with us? And where we have suffered unjustly for following Jesus notice that we do not take a spirit of vengeance we leave vengeance to the righteous judge we're not a people that is to take vengeance we leave vengeance to the righteous judge he alone knows the motives he alone knows the situation he alone can bring righteous judgment to people and to nations and into situations and now we come to the point in this series titled Revealed. As we've looked at John, the Apostle's revelation, we finally come to the place where John, in perfect harmony with the rest of scriptures, expounds on God's righteous and true judgments prevailing at the very end of this age. For Revelation 19.2 says, For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupts the earth with her fornication. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Today we're going to look at the woman, the marveling, those with him, the fruit, the marriage, the millennium, the eternal judgment. So now we arrive in the book of Revelation in chapter 17 in verse 1. And the apostle John, by one of the seven angels, shows him this woman. In verse 1 it says... Come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. In verse 1, this woman that John has shown is called the great harlot. In verse 2, this woman, the great harlot, is said that all the kings of the earth, everybody say all. All the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. What that means is, is all the kings of the earth have joined themselves unlawfully with this great harlot that John has shown, this woman. Okay? And verse 3 says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman, woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Notice John is carried away in the spirit into the wilderness. There this woman is sitting and she's sitting on a scarlet beast. 
Sounds very similar to the gospel writer Matthew, who in Matthew 4 says Jesus, after uh, being water baptized, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights by the devil. It also sounds a lot similar to when God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt and the oppression and the affliction of Pharaoh and the Egyptians that the nation of Israel was led by God into the wilderness after their water baptism through the Red Sea. But unfortunately, out of the nation of Israel, a whole generation, everybody say a whole generation, a whole generation died there in the wilderness except two people, Caleb and Joshua. And here John is shown that in this wilderness, representing a spiritual reality, he sees a spiritual woman and a spiritual truth, he sees this woman in the wilderness. Can you imagine a whole nation, the nation of Israel, who made it out of Pharaoh and made it out of Egypt, but they never make it into God's promised land for them? They never make it to the place of God's high calling for their life? Listen, we at Dwelling Place do not want the same for you. We want you to reach your high calling. Oh, I, Jesus Christ laid hold of you. We want all the gifts of God that he's put on the inside of you to come out of you for his glory. Let me first highlight that it, it is in the wilderness where you find this woman, this harlot woman. And this harlot woman is sitting in the wilderness. What that means is it's in the wilderness where she abides. This is her home. This is her dwelling. In fact, all throughout these chapters in Revelation, you see Apostle John being shown the contrast between those who will follow and be married to Jesus Christ and what they drink and the fruit that comes out of their life and the rewards and how they end up versus those that will actually follow and drink the harlotries of this woman who's riding a beast and the fruit that comes out of their life and the end of such a lifestyle. You see this contrast. This big contrast. And God is looking to build people together to make a dwelling place for Him in the Spirit. But there's also the enemy that's trying to build people together and build things together and build nations together to dwell in a spiritual wilderness drinking from the cup of the harlotries, this mother who has gave birth to all the false religions, false ideologies, false worldviews of all the nations and all the governments have joined them with her unbelief, with her wicked thoughts, with her abominations of false worldviews and truths. And even as a follower of Christ today, if you drink of her abominations, you also will abide, will stay, and will die in a wilderness Christian experience. This is where compromised confessors that Jesus is my Lord die. They never come to the place of God's high calling for them in their life. They never reach the life and abundant life that Jesus promised. Yes, you have life if you have Jesus, but Jesus said, I didn't just come to give you life, I came to give you abundant life. I didn't come just to bring you out of Egypt where you can die in the wilderness drinking from the same drink, eating the same fruit of the world around you. I brought you out of the wilderness because I want you to find that there's only one way out of the wilderness and Jesus Christ had said, I am the way and he is the way of holiness the only way to come out 
of eating and drinking from that which the world drinks of and to find yourself in the promised land, in the place of victory, in the place of the ministry that God has for you, to experience the anointing and Christ working in you and through you for his glory, is there's only one way. It is the way of holiness and his name is Jesus. But so many die in the wilderness. Let me ask you this question. Are you living in the wilderness? You can be in the church five years, 10 years, 15 years, 25 years, 75 years and die in the wilderness in a place of dryness, in a place where you don't experience the complete rest and victory of Jesus Christ, where you don't experience the peace that surpasses all understanding, the joy that is unspeakable, full of glory, the more life that Jesus came to give you. You can die right there in this dry place because if you continue to drink of her harlotries and eat the fruit of the world, you will be just as weak, just as empty, just as un satisfied as those that's in the world that live their entire life in the wilderness are you living in the wilderness or are you learning from the Lord the way out of the wilderness the highway of holiness that the prophet Isaiah said that Jesus said it is testified of me I am the not just the way out of Egypt but I'm the way out of the wilderness I'm the way out of dry religion I'm the way out of no excitement no adventure no power no anointing upon your life no joy no fruit I'm the way out of it how do you get out of the wilderness well Jesus got out of the wilderness because he learned to correctly divide and speak the word of God it is written it is written it is written See, there's people, they can quote the Word of God and they can be around the Word of God, but they never get out of wilderness Christianity because even the devil quoted the Word of God to Jesus, but he quoted it in a wrong application. He, re- he quoted it in a wrong context. And when you take the text out of the context, you get conned. You get conned from the joy of Jesus. You get conned from the victory of Jesus. You get conned from the peace of Jesus. You get conned out of your high calling and the purpose of God for your life and being used by the Master and seeing His name made great as we saying about today I'll tell you how else you get out of the wilderness experience is the Holy Spirit who led you out of Egypt he still is the pillar of fire and he still is the cloud by day that can lead you out of the wilderness and into the promised land of God in verse 5 it says that John saw on this woman on this harlot woman who's sitting on this scarlet beast a name was written mystery the Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And then it says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of martyrs of Jesus. We should not be surprised that she's drunk with the blood of those that have followed uh, followed Jesus and been martyred. Because Paul said, do not be deceived. For all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. We, might not, we won't all be martyred, but if you're going to live godly and you're going to let the Spirit of God and the Word of God lead you out of the wilderness Christianity, then the world that's drinking of her abominations is going to persecute you because your very life becomes a demonstration that you don't have to stay in a compromised Christianity or you don't have to stay separated from God. But Jesus came and made a way for all creation to be redeemed and brought back to the Father and in right standing with him see Paul talks about the mystery of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2 here particularly when he when John is shown this harlot 
It's the mystery. It's Babylon the Great. And this mystery is the mother of all harlots. What that means is he sees the spirit that has given birth to all the false religions, all the wrong doctrines that has piggybacked on governments and nations to cause the world to drink of her abominations and leads to the fruit that we see in the end, which is death and destruction. So we see the woman. Next we see the marveling. Because as John is seeing this and John is being shown this, he begins to marvel at what he sees, this woman and what's written upon her. And in Revelation 17 and 7, read with me. Notice what it says. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. Can I just say what we all know today? That there's a lot going on in our world. Nation against nation, famines, earthquakes, sicknesses, pesticides, Zika virus. I mean, there is a lot going on. A lot. Because the mystery of lawlessness abounds. But in the midst of all that's going on in our nation and around the world, the same thing that the angel said to John applies to us. Is when you look at all that's going around, here is the question for you. Why do you marvel? Why do you marvel that there's hatred? Why do you marvel that there's nation against nation? Why do you marvel that there's wickedness abounding? This is the fruit and the only fruit That people that are separated and not joined to Jesus Christ and filled with His grace and Spirit produce. Why marvel? Jesus told them, I tell you beforehand, what will come so you won't be surprised. Why marvel? Why do we marvel? See, to marvel means something that causes wonder or astonishment. Don't marvel at the fruit of those who drink from the cup of the harlot woman. That is always the end of such drinking. That is always the fruit of wrong belief and and partaking of the things of the world and living for temporary pleasures. That is always the fruit. Why marvel at that? Paul said those things always end in death. Why marvel? 1 John 3.13, the apostle John said, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Why do we marvel when we stand out? Why do we marvel that the world is against the truth, is against that there's only one way, is against the Christ that we follow and represent? Why do we marvel if the world hates you? Because all of the world is drinking from this mother of harlots and trying to find their satisfaction and their fruit and that which is not of the truth. Why do you marvel? In fact, early in July, I was challenged in my time with the Lord even before preparing for this series and obviously before this message. And I tweeted in July early on the challenge I heard in my spirit. The level that I'm shocked about what mankind does is equal to the level I haven't embraced the gospel and cross. Because what does the cross represent? Why did God send Jesus to go to the cross? The cross is God's declaration that there is no man, there is no woman, there is no person that can ever meet the standard of God. We have all turned astray. We are all fit. We are all unuseful for His purpose. And therefore, through Jesus, God made a way not to crucify some of the old creation, but to crucify and judge once and for all all of us that were a part of the old creation so that now what matters 
matters is not are you good enough, not do you meet the standards of the world, not are you think yourself a little better than Hitler and that racist and this person, but what matters is are you a new creation? And so many believers still have not embraced the depth of what the gospel and the cross means. We still marvel of what takes place on the earth. You've got to understand, that is the fruit that can be formed out of every unbeliever if they will drink greatly of the spirit that they're under. The spirit that they're under. Listen, you will never find more self-righteousness among unbelievers. That is where you'll find self-righteousness the most and unbelievers. You know why? Because they marvel. They look around and say, I can't believe someone would do that. I can't believe what's going on in the world. What they don't understand is, is that is just the fruit and the display of the spirit that they're under. They just haven't drank and yielded enough to it to do that in their life. So they think they're better than the person who is still drinking of the same spirit that they're under. Self-righteousness. It's amazing. I see it on my Facebook feed. Unbelievers, God-haters, God-despires. And yet when an evil thing happens, they judge those people as if they're not drinking of the same harlotries, as if that they are better than those that are sinners. Listen, this is the gospel. That if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you die. There is no unbeliever that is good according to God's standard. You can be good according to our nation standard, according to your family standard, and you might judge and say, I'm a little better than that person. You know, I know I've messed up, but I'm not as wicked. No, no, no. The cross is that all of the old creation is unfit and cannot be used of God, but because he loved us so much, he sent Jesus to embrace the cross so that the cross becomes a door into becoming a new creation, forgiven and right standing with God, with a new heart, under a new spirit, just like Jesus said. You can drink of a new spirit, the Holy Spirit. Yes, the world drinks of the spirit of our harlotries, but there were people in Acts 2 that drank of the Holy Spirit, and there was some fruit that came out of their mouth, and there was some fruit that came out of their life. There was some compassion and some love and some mercy and some generosity and some grace. Why do we marvel? If we want to marvel, we should marvel at... What Paul marveled in Galatians 1.6, why are there so many believers turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel? If we want to marvel as believers, don't marvel at what the world does. Sinners sin. Sinners will only cause the more they drink of the spirit of sin in them, more and more fruit and more and more corruption and, 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 and hatred and, and animosity and all of these things of sin on the world. But why, what we should marvel at is why so many believers turning away and drinking Drinking of that same spirit and living in the wilderness. If we want to marvel, we should marvel today on why is there so many believers that feel at home in an impure, corrupted Christianity that is aligned with this harlot woman and choose to abide in the wilderness instead of the promised land. If we want to marvel today at believers, we should marvel why so many believers no longer have a desire to reach their promised land and to experience full salvation, experience the full rest of God, experience the full peace of God, experience it's all that Jesus came to give the promises that are yes and amen if we want to marvel today as believers let's marvel in that because listen eating the fruit of wilderness Christianity keeps you weak empty and living like the world around you 
But Jesus said, I am your bread, I am your meat, eat of me. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Listen, we should not marvel at the world, but listen, the world should marvel at us. In Jesus' day and in the book of Acts, the religious leaders, the people, the Jews, those around, they marveled at believers. They marveled. Peter and John were untrained men and yet they had such boldness of speech and were used to perform miracles. They marveled. People marveled at Jesus that he didn't teach like the religious people and just try to comfort them and make them feel good. Jesus, the righteous judge, declared what the Father told him to declare and drew some clear lines in the sand and they marveled at the authority of his teaching. They marveled at his works. They marveled at his character. They marveled that he did all things. We shouldn't marvel at the world. The world should marvel at us that even in the midst of of a crooked generation we shine forth the light of God we shine forth the praises of God that there's something greater in us than the flood of dissipation around us we should cause them to marvel that even in the midst of it all we have a hope even in the midst of trials and tribulations just like unbelievers around us we have a joy that even when we're going through the same things that unbelievers go through and yet we have a peace we have a substance we have an anchor we have a sure foundation his name is Jesus Christ hallelujah marvel revelation 17 and 8 the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Watch this. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel. Whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and it is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. Notice when John is told about the beast that the beast was, is not, and will ascend. Was and is not yet is. Now, most scholars, as Pastor Craig hit early on in this series, believe that John wrote the book of Revelation around 90 A.D. Okay? 90 A.D., one of the latest New Testament books. What that means is, is that from John's perspective around 90 A.D., he still saw the beast doing something that was to come. It was future from his reference point. Yes, the spirit of the beast. Yes, this mother of harlotries that rides on the beast has always been there. Yes, the mystery of lawlessness has already been there. Yes, the spirit of the Antichrist has always been there. But John sees from his reference point, there's still yet something to come. And so it cannot be the destruction of Jerusalem alone that happened in 70 AD when Rome demolishes Jerusalem in the temple. Because John writes this after that. But notice what he also says. Those who are on the earth and who do not have their names written in the book of life, they marvel. Unbelievers marvel at what's happening. They don't understand. Is it climbing control? Is it this? Is it that? They marvel. But they don't have the mind of understanding. But the Apostle John in 1 John 5 says, But we have an understanding that's came from God, Jesus Christ. Therefore, we don't marvel. Because Jesus has told us these things beforehand. The Spirit of God has testified to these things beforehand. We don't marvel. See, we have an understanding from God, but the unbelievers have blindness and deception from the devil. They have a mind of darkness. We have a mind of wisdom. But then John sees him who is marvelous in chapter 19. And this is what I want to ask us today. Are we marveling from a lack of understanding and acceptance of the gospel of God? Or are we marveling at the marvelous one? 
Jesus Christ. This is what concerns me about so many believers today is that they're marveling at all that's happening in the world and they marvel more over what's happening in the world than marveling over the marvelous one, Jesus Christ. We got some people that are so marveled over the politics and what's happening in this nation and trying to figure out that they marvel in those things more than marveling on the faithful, righteous judge of Jesus Christ. That's what concerns me because as Pastor Craig preached in Revelation and God's message to the churches, Jesus said, what is first is what matters. What is first in your life? Is Jesus first in your life? Are you marveling first in his beautifulness that he does all things well? That he still has grace from you? That he still got the power to build his character in your character? That he's still comforting you? That though you fell down, he's still raising you up? Though you're weary, he's still speaking encouragement to you? Are we marveling about the world around us or marveling over the marvelous one? See, marvel can also mean not just astonishment but marvel can also mean to marvel at a wonderful thing to have admiration it's like that song about Jesus oh what a wonder you are the mystery of godliness that God was manifested and revealed in the flesh that God the fullness of God dwelt bodily in Jesus Christ oh what a wonder oh what a marvel of the mystery of godliness I'm not marveling in the mystery of lawlessness this morning but I am marveling at the mystery of godliness this morning I'm not marveling at the fruit that comes out of the world of unbelievers today but I am marveling of the fruit of Jesus that's coming through this earthen vessel today that he could take someone that was in drugs and in alcohol and brokenness and a mess and he could fill me with himself and cause his fruit to come out of my life I marvel at that today but I don't marvel of the fruit that comes out of the unbelievers because that's the only thing we should expect you should marvel today that he can take you though we're not mighty though we're not great according to the world standards he can take you and fill himself with you and do great fruit and make his name great through you that's what we should marvel at today that he could take us who are broken who are weak and fill us with his resurrection power and now because you're joined and married to Jesus Christ and he's resurrecting his kingdom in you and through you he keeps, he keeps taking you higher because you're joined to him so that means the higher he goes in your life and through your life the higher you go why? because you're joined to him hallelujah resurrecting himself and because we're joined to him he's taking us higher in God and as pastor Craig said one day he's going to take us all the way up to be with the father hallelujah praise his name John has showed that there's seven kings five have fallen this is verse 10 of Revelation 17 one is the other not yet come. When he comes, he must continue a short time. And then the beast is also the eighth that comes out of the seven. And then he says this eighth king that comes out of the seventh, this beast gives authority to ten horns, and the ten horns are ten kings that they may have authority with the beast for one hour. John is told about this time in Revelation 17, 13 that these are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. Here you see more imitation because Paul says of believers we should be of one mind and one accord and we all surrender our authority to make choices in our life. We surrender our authority to do with our money what we should do. We surrender our authority to make choices and choose the path we want to him, Jesus Christ, who has all authority. 
But here you see the imitation that there's people that give their authority, give their mind, give their will to the beast. But then, in Revelation 17, 14, he sees the marvelous one Jesus coming and it says, these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So we've talked about the woman in the wilderness. We've talked about the marveling. Are we going to marvel at the world or marvel at Jesus Christ, the marvelous one? Now let me talk to you about those that are with him. Notice those that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Say it with me. Called, chosen, and faithful. See, regarding being with Jesus in ministry... Jesus said there are many who are called, but there are few who are chosen. Those that are chosen to be with Jesus in ministry and to extend his kingdom and allow to use his authority upon the sphere that they have on the earth, they are called chosen and faithful. The chosen, according to Matthew 22 in the parable of the wedding feast, have on a wedding garment. The wedding garment is not just the righteous garment of righteousness. It's actually a garment from the righteous acts that those believers have done. It also says in the wedding parable of the feast that those who have on the wedding garment that their mouth is not stopped. But those that are found when Jesus returns don't have on the wedding garment. They can't say anything. This is what the Apostle John says the same thing. Look at with, with me at 1 John 2, 28. And now little children abide in him. So he's writing to believers. These are believers. These are children of God. We now are children of God. This isn't about you become a child of God. Now you are. But now that you're a child of God, you have a high calling. But are you chosen and has he appointed you to be able to work in your high calling? Or have you still chosen to abide in the wilderness because many are called but not few are chosen? Because he ain't going to choose someone to be with him in the ministry doing great works through them and the world around them if they're abiding in the wilderness still drinking of the great harlotries and upon uh, the beast. But he says this, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That we won't find ourselves speechless like the one in Matthew 22. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. Now we are. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Watch this, verse 3. And everyone who, or everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who has hope for his return allows the sanctifying grace and the work of the Holy Spirit to purify them now so that we can be chosen and appointed to walk in the calling that we have in His kingdom. See, listen, we are all children of the Father. But now that we're children of the Father, there is a child that's above all the children. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn among many brethren. And now that we're all children, Jesus the firstborn is looking for other sons and daughters of the Father who will be taught to observe all that He's commanded that He can share His authority and His kingdom to come with. Unlike in nations of the world where people get to share in the authority of the government who are not really qualified, it won't be like this in the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There won't be people ruling over cities and having his authority who have not first been prepared and equipped and appointed and chosen for them to walk in that calling. 
This is the righteous judge. To walk worthy of the high calling equals being chosen. We see it in Luke 6, 12 and 13. It's the same thing Jesus did. Now watch what it says. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself and from them. That means there were many, right? The Bible makes it very clear. At this point, there's many disciples. But out of the many, what did he do? He chose. Everybody say chose. He chose 12 whom he also named apostles that he might send them forth to preach and to heal and to declare the kingdom of God. Notice that. Jesus said regarding being with him out in the vineyard and his fruit flowing through your life. He said many are called but few are chosen. Here he chose 12. He appointed them. Once you're then find your hand on the plow and the ministry that God has for you and your kingdom assignment and following Jesus, then Jesus said, once you find your hand on the plow, don't look back. Remember Lot's wife. So this is why those that are with Jesus on that day, he said they're not just called, but they're called and chosen. And they're not just called and chosen, but they're called, chosen, and faithful. See, once you find your lane, once you find your niche, once you find your kingdom assignment, and he's appointed you and released you to start walking in it, then we still have to be found faithful in that calling that he's now qualified us to begin in. In fact, Paul talks about two brothers in Colossians 4, 7, and 9, Tychicus and Onesimus. We don't use those names much anymore, but nevertheless, Paul highlights them, and notice what he says, Colossians 4, 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, but that ain't just it, and faithful minister and faithful servant, Colossians 4, 9, with Onesimus, not just a beloved brother, a faithful and beloved brother. See, today here and all in, in the churches around the world, we have brothers and sisters. They are our brothers and sisters. But we don't all have faithful brothers and faithful sisters. See, there's some brothers and sisters right now because they're actually still drinking of the harlot and the wrong ideologies that rise upon government and nation. They actually despise me right now because I'm not in the same political persuasion that maybe they are. See, that is a problem because I'm a brother and I'm a sister, but we also need some faith faithful brothers and some faithful sisters that's more faithful to the King Jesus Christ and their own preference and their own perceptions and things like that. Is Jesus king or is the American dream king? Come on, I'll say it again. Is Jesus king or is the American dream king? This is what we face. This is the temptation. Well, I think that by drinking the beast in government that the answers of this world will be solved. No, 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 no. There's only one who's the hope of the nations. There's only one righteous judge that can bring justice where there's injustice. That can bring peace where there's calamity. Where there can be hope where there's depression. And his name is Jesus Christ. And I'm here today not because I'm faithful, but because he's faithful. I'm not here today because I'm worthy, but he's worthy. And I'm here in the spirit of prophecy to testify, testify to Jesus Christ. He that is the faithful, true witness of God he has a calling for you in his kingdom and it doesn't matter how long you've been in compromised Christianity or conflicting confession and abiding and drinking from the substance of the world around you just like unbelievers he has grace for you today that where you've become feeble in your knee he can make you stand up in the race and the high calling and begin to move towards his purpose for you he's got a fire from heaven that can stir the gifts of God on the inside of you my life is that testimony my very presence whether you know it or not and know my history is a testimony that it doesn't matter how far you've been in compromised Christianity it doesn't matter how far you drink on religion 
that it is not too late as long as you're here. And God's got grace for you today. He can work to will and to do again on the inside of you. He can form himself in you. He can qualify you and stir you up so that he can bear his fruit for him through you. He can do it. Growth phases is one of the keys of where you begin to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to prepare you and equip you to be able to see Jesus correctly, to see yourself correctly, to see his plan and high calling for you correctly. Then in Revelation 18, 14, John says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. At least you share in her sins, at least you receive of her plagues. Listen to me. To be a faithful minister of Jesus Christ, to be a faithful apostle and prophet of Jesus Christ, to be a faithful minister, to be a faithful disciple, you must come out of Babylon. This is not a physical coming out. But I know the time when God began to deal with me about this, and I couldn't find it. I wrote it in some Bible or on some note. The day that I came out of Babylon. The day that though I was in Christianity, and I'm going to explain it, but see, when you're in compromised Christianity and you're drinking from this abomination of the, the harlot, and depending on nations and things that they're going to fix it all, you actually began to try to build a life for you and make your name great instead of building Jesus' life in you and making his name great. He says, come out of her, my people, at least you share in her sins. Let me talk about this fruit based on what you're drinking, what spirit you're fellowshipping with you. You remember in Genesis 11, it's the first time you find the place called Babel, Babylon. And all the people were of one language. They had one speech. And because they had one language, they could all understand the perceptions that they had. So they were of one mind. And because they were of one language and one mind, it said whatever they put their mind to, they could do it. So watch what it says in Genesis 11.4. Come, let us build ourselves a city. Are they building God a city? Are they building God a dwelling place that he may dwell in the spirit, which is his eternal purpose? No, no, no. They're building themselves a city. And a tower whose top is in heaven's. Let us make a name for ourselves. Are they trying to make the name of Jesus Christ great? No, no, no. They're trying to make a name for themselves. At least we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So listen to me. This is the mystery of Babylon. Babylon, in the spirit of it, is spiritual harlotry against God married to politics. This Babylon is what spiritual harlotry against God married to politics. That's what it builds. It builds self-centeredness. It builds focus on us being rich, us having the life we want. It's not focused on Christ-centeredness at all. Do you know what is built in your life when you allow Christ to be the center, when you want to make his name great, when you want to focus on his mind and be in one accord with his spirit? The cross is what faithful obedience to God married to the future reign of Jesus' kingdom builds in your life. Let me ask you, are you building and trying to build your name, your dream, your ambitions, and you're riding on the back of the nation? Because if you do it, you'll find yourself sipping ambitions and a spirit that's contrary to the spirit you're actually of. Or are you sipping and drinking of the spirit of God that actually then calls you to build the cross in your life? What does the cross look like? That we give up our desires. We give up our mind. We give up our ambitions. We give up our dreams. We give up all these things so that he can have his dream, his ambition, his name, his will done in us and through us that his fame is great. That's a big difference. Big difference. 
See, we build Babylon in our life when we use God for our goals, ambitions of power, and prestige. That's building Babylon. Let us make a name great for ourselves, not for him. I must confess when I read this, and this is not a political message, but you got to understand that there's a spiritual thing. I must confess when I read this, it struck me how much this sounded like my country tis of thee. I must confess of how much this struck my heart that the things of what I love about America is how it's made it easy for me to prosper financially. That it's made it easy for things to be easier than other nations. So that makes me wonder, am I excited about my country? Not because my country uh, is honoring God. Not the fact that abortions are taking place every day, murdering the innocent. Not because there's injustices and issues in this country. Am I excited about America because it's making my name great? It's making things easy for me? It confronts me to ask that. That is Jesus' flag, is Jesus' name, first even before the name of America and the flag of America. Because over 200 years ago, there was no America and there was no flag of America. And I love our country and I serve our country by serving people. But the gospel confronts me and the kingdom of God says Jesus must be first. I told my son, I made, because I, you know, I try to train him and disciple him so he's aware of the political atmosphere and things that's taking place and who's running. And he said, who are you voting for? And I said, well, son, I cast my vote a long time ago. I voted for Jesus to be king of this country a long time ago. That precedes even my conversation with my son because that is a spirit that must embrace me because if not, I will use the country and the things in this country to make my name great, to make it be about my ambitions instead of making it be about his ambition. And just like I talked about the other day, I want to be like a stone in David's slingshot. I want to be like a stone in Jesus' slingshot and he can shoot me wherever he wants to shoot me because my life is no longer my life, but my life is his life one of the things how this applies 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. Jesus is saying you have a different spirit you can drink of you have a different substance you can eat of he's talking about communion he says if we judge ourselves we would not be judged but when we are judged we are chastened by the Lord watch this that we might not be condemned with the world see listen to be a faithful apostle prophet minister you must rejoice over Babylon's fall I'm not talking about a physical Babylon. Listen, I'm talking about when the mindset of the spirit of Babylon falls from your mind. Where you're no longer trying to say, how can the country and how can people, you know, serve me to get my ambitions and my wants and make me rich and make life easy for me. No, no, no. Babylon falls from our mind when I think about what does Jesus have for me. He has grace to get me where he wants to get me. And he has enough grace for me to fulfill his purpose for my life, even if the world thinks it is no purpose. Babylon falls when my ambitions and my selfishness comes down. And notice what he says a faithful apostle prophet and minister rejoices when the spirit of Babylon falls down let me ask you are you rejoicing that God's allowed you to be in some tests and in some trials where he's trying to get the spirit of Babylon and Babylon thinking out of your heart and your mind and you're rejoicing because that spirit is coming off your life but the spirit of glory and God is resting upon you Christ and his mind's being formed in your mind Christ is becoming formed in you he says faithfulness is rejoicing When God's Spirit is doing that in our life. Why? Because we live ultimately for our heavenly country. We ultimately are pilgrims and sojourners on the earth. You know why we rejoice when that Spirit falls? Because the fruit of that Spirit, because we're talking about the fruit, listen, 
For in Babylon and its mystery is found all the blood of the martyred prophets and saints. That spirit of all wrong ideologies and false religions and false beliefs that rides on the beast and governments that is trying to make a name great for themselves and trying to make themselves rich instead of worrying about what Jesus wants. Listen, it has killed every saint that has ever been martyred and every brother and sister of yours that has ever been killed. It's that spirit that's done it. That's why it says we rejoice when that spirit starts being cast down from our life. See, listen. Revelation 18, 14 talks about this fruit. The spirit of Babylon. It says the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you. And you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. Listen to me, the fruit of Babylon is temporary. The fruit of this world is temporary. The ambitions of men and selfishness is temporary. But the fruit of our righteous works are enduring. Jesus said, I'm coming for my people. And when I come again in Matthew 16 and 17, my rewards are with me. The fruit of this world is temporary, but the fruits of righteousness is enduring. Then we see the marriage. Revelation 19.5, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent, all powerful reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen, watch this, is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. John has shown that the marriage of the Lamb has come. The wife of the Lamb has made herself ready. And this wife was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. And the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The righteous acts of the saints. Listen to me. The harlot joined to the beast... Builds Babylon, which is filled with the unrighteous acts of unbelievers. But the Lamb, joined with the called, chosen, and faithful, build the heavenly Jerusalem, which is filled with the righteous acts of unbelievers. The contrast. That the righteous judge in the end will show the contrast of the drink, of the fruit, of the marriages. What type of marriage? So the harlot or the Lamb? See, listen to me. The gift of righteousness was given to you at the new birth. When you were born again, Jesus was given to you and he became your right standing with God. That you have the right to eternal life. You have the right to come before the Father and his throne of grace free from demonic fear and guilt and condemnation. He gave that to you as a gift. That is called the gift of righteousness and it brings a robe of righteousness. But those that are with him, and when the righteous judgment comes, they don't just have the robe of righteousness. Listen, they have the wedding garment, which is the righteous acts of the righteous people. 
See, the reason God made you righteous on the inside through the new birth is that now your inward righteousness through being married to Jesus would lead to the fruit of righteous acts, acts of mercy, acts of being a peacemaker, acts of compassion, acts of love, acts of joy and goodness and generosity. He says that I see the righteous acts of the believers. Paul said in Romans 7, you're married to Jesus Christ that you would bear fruit unto God. So John sees those that are called, chosen, faithful, meaning they were fruitful, righteous acts. Verse 11, he says, Now I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. He who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on a white horse. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself shall tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. See, the marriage supper of the Lamb is his return where he removes by judgment all who oppose him and who worships the beast. Then John sees the millennium. The millennium is a Latin word that means a thousand. In Revelation 20 and 1 through 3, John sees thrones given and Satan, the dragon from of old, the serpent, the devil, is bound by an angel. He is shut up in the bottomless pit for a thousand years, verse 2 says. Did you know why Peter said that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day to the Lord? This is what the scriptures and the prophetic writings have always called the day of the Lord. His coming when he sets up his thousand year reign on the earth. Listen, Jesus Christ will visibly reign over the nations of the world. And he's asking you who are called because you're already sons and daughters of God if you're born again. Will you allow him to make you chosen and appointed? And will you be faithful in what he's asked you to do in this age so that you can rule and reign with him in that age? And I'm not a great mathematician, but let's say I even live a hundred years brother Marcos what is a hundred years of living for Jesus to build the cross in my life so that his righteous acts can flow through my life compared to ruling and reigning a thousand years with him in the age to come do you understand that every righteous deed you do or allow Christ to do through you Jesus keeps a perfect account that on that day he will reward you for your faithfulness to allow him to live through you don't be weary and well doing you might feel down you might feel like you're not getting the recognition you desire can I tell you on that day Jesus is the righteous judge and he's going to hand out his rewards to his faithful believers that allowed him to live through them and to bear his fruit of his kingdom through them. Because look at Revelation 20 verse 4. And I saw thrones. They sat on them. Judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Watch this. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. 
This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Peter, who always wanted to know where he sort of fell with the Lord, you know. In Matthew 19, 27, Jesus is talking about the age to come when he reigns visibly upon the nation. Peter answered and said, See, we have left all and followed you. Remember? They weren't just called. They were chosen and appointed. We've left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you that in the regeneration, that's at the resurrection, the first one, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. See, he who has the Son has life. But the rewards of the inheritance is determined with now what do you do with your life now that his life is on the inside of you. See, as a born-again believer, all of the old life's forgiven. Remembers no more. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. But now... We have Jesus and we have a foundation. And notice what the Apostle Paul, this is what's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's not a judgment about heaven or hell. Paul takes the Greek games, the Olympic games, and there was a raised platform called the Bema seat. And after the competition, they would go and stand before a judge who would evaluate their performance and he would hand out rewards. Or he would not give rewards. Paul uses that word Bema and he says, Jesus, when he turns, he's going to do the same thing amongst his followers. Paul, talking about the judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3, says this. I'm almost done. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, if you got Jesus Christ, you have the only secure foundation. You have the one who is approved of God. He who has the Son has life, has eternal life. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation... With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it, the foundation of the new birth, the gift of God where he made you his child, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Listen to me. You allowing the grace of God to work in you and through you right now determines whether you will receive rewards or loss of rewards the day you stand before the one that loved you so much that though he could have lived forever on this earth because he never sinned, therefore he never deserved to die, he chose to become our sin and take our death so that now he would have access to make us a child of God, make us clean where he can come and live in us and now live his life through us. And to the level you embrace the cross and allow the cross to be built on your life as you drink of the Spirit and rightly divide the Word of God will be the level that he'll reward you on that day for your faithfulness to let the faithful one and the true witness of God live through you. That is our hope. And that is why now that the grace of God has came in our life and we're a child of God, that we don't just sit, sip on sweet tea and, and surf on the internet the rest of our life as a believer. 
That's why we don't just stay drinking of the things of this world and, and, and riding with the spirit that's tr- all the harlotries. No, no, no. That's why now we drink of a different spirit. We eat of a different one, Jesus Christ and his word. Because now what we do after God did the miracle of the new birth in our life, we will give an account. Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom, I will give an account for every idle word. Why? Because a servant always answers to the master. And when I said, Jesus, your Lord, he became my master. And I will give an account and you will give an account. Paul said, unfortunately, there would be some, just like we read earlier, John, they're ashamed at his coming because they never allowed the righteous acts to close their life. Yes, they have the foundation. Yes, they have Jesus Christ. But they spend their entire life like the nation of Israel, camped out in a compromised Christianity, drinking the spirit of the world, more in love with the nation than Jesus Christ who's bringing the real nation to come out of heaven one day called the kingdom of God. And he says, Paul rebukes him. He says, quit being a babe. Grow up. Why? Because, listen, God will do for you what he asks of you. He will work and change the desires and build in you if you'll surrender at the cross and let him work. And I tell you, it's not too late today to let his grace build his mind in your mind, to let his grace build his desires in your desire, to let his grace build his character in your character so that you can be appointed and released in the high calling he has for you and you can be faithful to he endures knowing just like Moses gave up all the riches of Egypt. Why? Because he looked to the reward. He looked to the day of the reward. Lastly, you see that John sees the eternal judgment in Revelation 20. In verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. Everybody say books. It's plural. And another book. Everybody say book. That's singular. No, no, no. Book. Singular. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Plural. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the great white throne judgment of the righteous judge. Notice there is a book. The book is the book of life. Either you have your name in the book of life or you don't have your name. That means he whose name is not found in the book of life is uh, cast into everlasting damnation. He whose name is in the book of life enters eternal life. The book is based on eternity. Either you have Jesus Christ and you have eternal life or you don't have the Son and you don't have eternal life. He who has the Son has eternal life and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But after that separation of heaven and hell, it says books were opened. And it says the books was the record of each individual's works. Did you know Though that every unbeliever who does not know or follow the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will be in eternal damnation. But did you know within eternal damnation there's different levels of punishment? Someone like Hitler who drank so deeply of the spirit of harlotry and used government to make what his ambition was and and did injustice and racism all that thing. That person will have a greater condemnation 
and the eternal damnation than someone who thought they were good enough to make heaven because they maybe gave money to the poor once and you know they never murdered anybody and yet they were still a sinner never received Jesus Christ who is the only way to life there will be different levels of punishment Jesus talks about but here's the good news for us as followers some of you are getting weary because you're looking at old Joe over there. I don't think, oh, we don't have a Joe in here. But uh, if not, I'm not talking about you. And you're saying, Joe, he's just been camped out for 10 years in the wilderness. Man, he's still living in sexual immorality. He's still living for himself. He's using the world to try to make his name great and his ambitions. And here I am, I'm fasting. Here I am bearing up the cross. Here I am carrying the burdens of other believers and allowing Christ to live in me and through me. And we have this sense of justice of, Lord... And sometimes people get so wrong because they don't understand. They want to throw those people in hell. No, no, no. Either name's in the book of life or it's not. But here is at the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us of a follower of Jesus will stand before him and have the record of our works evaluated. And the works that you've allowed Christ to do in you and through you, he'll reward you for. But many will have a loss of rewards. Because there's a level of rejoicing and a sharing of rewards then and it's not the same for all why? because he is a righteous judge he is a perfect judge and I've just come to tell many of you what you've never heard and never known before because some of us have been so focused on heaven and hell we just try to get people saved and we let them camp out and compromise Christianity for the rest of their life but no, 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 that's not the apostolic faith no, 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 that's not the gospel of the kingdom it's that now Jesus lives in you because he wants to do great things through you for his name making his fame great and for fruits of righteousness to come out of you I want to encourage you as we stand and begin to worship to say, here I am. And if you're already a follower of Christ, you say, maybe I was weary. Maybe I've been in compromised Christianity and the wilderness has been my experience. But I'm here to do what Paul urged me to do in Romans 12. I'm here to present my body as a living sacrifice. I'm here to present my body for Jesus' living dream in me and through me. Not my dream, not my ambition, not my purpose, but His purpose. Not my name and my fame, but for His name and His fame. Maybe there's someone here today as we worship. It's going to be your moment where you truly understand the gospel of God. That what matters is a new creation. It's not about how good you think you are. Listen, none is good according to God's good. All is in need to repent, to turn from their self and to place their faith in Jesus Christ and His finished cross and allow Him to do what only He can do to make you a new creation, a child of God. Let's stand our feet and worship Him. Again, thanks so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. God bless you.